There is one story that every person is a part of, and it goes like this. God created us out of love to be in relationship with him. But our intimacy with God was broken by sin, and we became separated from him. So God sent Jesus Christ into the world to redeem us and restore us to new life. We all belong within the big universal story of God's redeeming love. But at the same time, we each have our own individual experiences with God. Our encounters with his grace, mercy, provision, healing, these moments are as unique and unrepeatable as we are, and they are stories that are meant to be shared. You're listening to The Story, a podcast by St. Andrew the Apostle Catholic Church. In each episode, a different member of our community tells the story of a personal experience in their journey to know and follow the Lord Jesus. It's been nine months since our last episode. I'm Dominic Bruno, temporarily filling the shoes of Marissa Dawson, the previous host. She's moved up to Brighton, and we've been slowly finding the right people to make this podcast happen again. God's still loving his people. We just haven't gotten those stories recorded, edited, and out to you until today. I'm excited. You'll get to hear from Michelle, who was recently hired to guide the opening of the St. Andrew School. I hope her story helps you trust more deeply in God's goodness. And if any of you listeners want to be involved in helping these podcasts get out, please drop me a line. Can you give our listeners a little introduction of who you are? Absolutely. Well, my name is Michelle Sontag. I was born and raised as a Catholic. My parents gave all four of us kids the lifetime gift of a Catholic education. And I look back now and, and appreciate it so much more than I think I did as, as a kid. <laughs> so when I was younger, it, it, you know, you thought a little bit differently about it, but blessed that that's what my parents did because it, it truly is a lifetime gift. It's the best gift that you can give your children. And I was very grateful that my parents did that. Okay. But I am married to Dave Sontag. Um, we met in college, and it was pretty quickly known that we were supposed to spend our lives together. We have three children, Ryan, Susan, and Brendan, and they're all uh, pretty close in age. Uh, we, we had three children within three and a half years, and they are certainly very blessed, very gifted in their own ways. Um, they live in different places now. Ryan and Amy live in Celine. Susan lives in San Diego and Brendan is in Alabama. Yet we are a very close family, very tight knit. And we always, I really believe we always will be. We've, we've really had some challenges um, in our lives and we have grown even closer because of it. Yeah, so wonderful. where sometimes things like the separate families, we're, we've just been brought so much closer. So our hope with this podcast is that we are you know, sharing personal encounters that we've had with, with the amazing God who has created us, uh, but more than that, um, cares for us, uh, loves us. Um, so I, I know you've got a, a story about that. Do you want to jump in? Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the busyness of our lives and, and how we are so busy with uh, our our life with our kids and our careers and and church 
hopefully, you know, everybody's as busy as they should be. And baseball, right? <laughs> and baseball. A lot of baseball. A lot of baseball. But the kids were three sport athletes. You know, they back in the day when it was the best thing to do, it's still the best thing to do, I always say that, is to play three sports. We were very we were just a very, very busy family and Dave uh, was coaching the kids at a very young age. Um, he started coaching when he was like 12 and a half. He coached his brother's t-ball team, and he's been coaching ever since. So that's a long time to be coaching kids. That's over 50 years. But um, he coached all three of our kids, and I was the official scorekeeper. So I just want to throw that in there. So we were very busy with our kids and with baseball and with all sports, really. And um, our, our, our life came to a screeching halt in 1995 when um, the doctor said Dave had a test on his lymph node and the doctor said I'll come to your house and then we knew that it wasn't come to the office I'll be right over and we sat in our living room with the kids in the backyard playing and I can still picture this Um, Ryan was nine Susan was seven and Brendan was six and sat on the couch and he told us this devastating news and this is in 1995 that Dave had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I don't know why that's still so sensitive to me because that's a long time ago Um, he was a healthy guy he was coaching he was a refereeing he was uh, a teacher at the time he was he was very busy. We were very busy. Yet non-Hodgkin's lymphoma usually attacks older people and the success rate is not as good because people are older and it's hard to beat this cancer. Um, immediately he went, uh, he underwent chemotherapy and he worked through it. He roughed through it. He coached through it because at that time he was coaching football too and he, he didn't let his life stop because of the cancer. They gave him 100%. They gave him everything they could. They attacked his body knowing that this guy's in pretty good shape. Let's take care of this right away. And in six months, he went into remission. And that was a moment of praise God. That was, thank you, Lord, for taking a stage four cancer and just squashing it and and showing us how faithful you are. The story with that uh, once he was in remission was we lived our life differently. We appreciated so much more than we ever did before. We were really dedicated to our faith and it was at that time that Dave converted to Catholicism. So he was a Lutheran and he converted to Catholicism when he went into remission and as a family we, we celebrated the Catholic faith together. Um, and like I said, we lived differently, but every appointment was just a little, a bit of an anticipation. Is it going to come back? Is it, will we ever see it again? And the doctor said at that time, this, you beat this and you will be cured. But know that someday cancer is probably going to come back in a different form. So you live with that um, in the back of your mind and in the back of your heart and uh, but after 20 or so years, it starts to fade and you start to feel like, yes, we did beat this. You are cured. This is never going to come back again. At, at, so a little bit about my career and how how it, it kind of weaves in and out of our story is I was teaching at the time and I had an opportunity to leave teaching, 
uh, for a career in education as an educational consultant. And Dave was better. He was healthy. He was fit. The kids were in school and doing very well. And I became an educational consultant. And it that part of my journey as my career really gave me an opportunity to look at the backside of things, to look at what happens with curriculum, what happens with standards, what happens with building textbooks and content and, and how that all happens. And I began to train teachers. And that love of helping teachers go back into the classroom and ignite and engage and, and do wonderful hands-on activities really gave my career a turn and became important to me. And the, the biggest part of what I loved was training teachers and just seeing their light bulbs go off, knowing that that was going to happen in their classroom too. Uh, after a couple of years, it was after over five years, I really missed students. I missed teachers. I missed the relationships you build with parents. And at that time, I wanted to come back into education and leave the educational consulting and sales part of it. And the only way back was to become an administrator. So that wasn't something I expected in my career. But again, it was it's all part of God's plan now that I can look back and see how that plan unfolded. And I became an administrator. Uh, I was fortunate to be involved with Monroe's Monroe Catholic um, Elementary Schools. We had three Catholic elementary schools, uh, one mile block apart from each other. So all in the uh, in the town of Monroe, right in the downtown area, all with separate cultures, all with different philosophies, uh, different curriculums. But we all funneled into the same high school, the Catholic high school, SMCC. So. My journey with the Catholic schools was we took the three elementary schools and we made them like one district. And St. Mike's, St. Mary's, and St. John's all became Monroe Catholic Elementary Schools. I started out as a pre-K-8 principal and then went to the middle school and became the, uh, the middle school principal for grades 5 through 8. And it was hard on the community, but to see the success and to see enrollment grow and to see so many more children and so many more families bring their their children into the Catholic faith was really exciting. Um, so through all of this, Dave, Dave uh, grew stronger and we really never went, you know, we never looked back. We just kept going forward and enjoying our family and the kids and their sports. And we had, you know, different career goals and David's health was good. It was at that time that I uh, I stepped out of the Catholic educational side and took a little bit of a reprieve. It's, it's very hard what we did in Monroe and um, very time consuming and I'm learning that again. I'm seeing it again. It's it's hard work. It's There are so many things that need to be planned in a certain order uh, and in Monroe, I, I needed a breather. So I stepped back and, and took a bit of a breather, and the next part of my career move was coming to Celine, which was another blessing, uh, and you'll see why when I tell my story, but um, I became an administrator in Celine, and I was at Heritage, and that's where it was just grades four and five. With uh, My first year was almost 800 students. But it was a wonderful experience to see the high level, uh, the intensity, the, the rigor, 
and I experienced so many more things with this turn in my career. And my first year, Dave's health was great. He was doing wonderfully. But it was at the end of my um, it was end of my first year in Celine that Dave decided, and it was quite sudden. He said, "I'm going to retire. I think it's time." I've, I've been in education and I've been coaching for a long time and it, it's time to retire. Well, at the time, his mom was very sick and I understood that his goal was to retire and take care of him. And we also had grandpa living with us who was 102 at the time. Wow. So at 101, 102, going into 103, grandpa was living with us, which uh, <laughs> was... It was it was exciting uh, for us. It was exciting for Grandpa to be cared for by family, but it was a lot of work for Dave. So he spent the first year of his retirement taking care of his mom and, and taking care of Grandpa. And I was working in Celine 50, 60, sometimes even going into 70 hours a week. And I really, I wasn't helping as much as I could have and should have with the family. It was, I was driven, I was passionate about my career and I did what I could for the family with my energy and time that was left over. Oftentimes I would be, I'd come home from work, we'd eat dinner and uh, then I'd sit on the couch, Dave would turn on the tigers and I'd fall asleep with my laptop open in my lap as grandpa and Dave were still awake and I'm falling asleep, just trying to keep up. The thing about, our relationship as a marriage and as a couple and as, as husband and wife is that we we don't do well when we're apart so much. We don't do well when we take the time to sit and to talk and to catch up. And I don't know if that's like that with everyone, but we need to be together and spend our time together. And the time that I was uh, a, a principal in Celine, it was very challenging for our marriage. Uh, it's not that we had marital problems, but it was just a challenge, and we were, we were finding it harder and harder to find the time together, and and to really be present in the moment. It was a very hard decision, but it became apparent that something needed to change for our marriage, that that was more important than any career or any job, and. When you're when you you've spent all these steps in your career going from this job and then springboarding into the next job that leads into the next job, your career becomes important to you, as it does for a lot of people. But I was letting my goals become more important than my family and my life. And I prayed about it and I, I wasn't sure what to do. It was it was gonna be hard stepping away from a career that I loved. But I also knew that it was important that I, I made a decision. That is also the year that Dave became sick. He had started feeling poorly in January and didn't feel right and had gone to the doctor. The doctor, you know, his oncologist said, no, you're good. Your checkups are good. Your your levels are good. Your counts are good. And Dave's like, I just don't feel right. I don't. I just don't feel right. And we landed in the ER a couple times with his just don't feel right. I'm not... I can't breathe. They checked his heart. It was just a lot of things, but they couldn't put their finger on it. He was on the baseball field at practice when uh, the assistant coach, Joe Welton, called and said, Michelle, you got to come get him. Something is, is really wrong. He's bleeding from his ears. He's bleeding from his nose, and he is having a really hard time walking. And 
we went to ER immediately and they, they took his counts and his blood levels, his hemoglobin was so low that um, they were alarmed and they, they ambulanced him over to where our oncologist was. It was May 15th and I remember finding out that Dave had leukemia and that the cancer came back as ALL, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and that really rocked our world. It was, um, it didn't seem at the time fair, and I know that a lot of times when people have cancer the first time or the second time or the third time, they're just like, this is not fair, but we had a lot of support in Monroe because we had been in Monroe for over 30 years. Dave was born and raised in Monroe. He became a teacher in Monroe. He was a coach in Monroe. Uh, I was uh, we raised our, our children in Monroe, and then we came to Celine and became a part of the community in Celine. And this is why the story and the journey is so beautiful, because you don't know why things happen until you look back and you realize God was just giving us another prayerful community, another leg of support, so that when we faced this devastating cancer, we had so many people behind us. And I, I really, really, truly believe that when God was flooded with all these prayers, he realized this is a special man and he has a special purpose. I knew he already know, you know, knew that. <laughs> we know his plan. But now Dave and I understand that plan just a little bit better. So many people were asking me the questions that I was repeating over and over again that it becomes, I, I appreciated their prayers and their caring. Um, but it, it was a little bit overwhelming. And that's when I began writing the blog. And the blog was really to keep everybody in close communication, what was going on with Dave, encouraging prayer, asking for their support. But it, it became this sense of therapy for me. When Dave was diagnosed, we met with Father Dan. Uh, we were having a hard time understanding what to do with his mom and what to do with grandpa. And, and we sat down and we prayed. We were, um, we were going to St. Mary's in Pinckney at the time, and he said, I just, I'm going to pray over you, and I want you to listen. I want you to listen for God's word. And I think this is where I really started to stop and listen. So he prayed over us, and he got done, and he said, Dave, did you hear anything? And Dave's like, no, I didn't hear anything. Michelle, did you hear anything? And I'm like, no, no messages. Let me pray again. He prayed over us for the second time. And he put his hands on our heads and and he prayed. And when he was done, he said, did you hear anything? Did God speak to you? No. Dave says, I didn't hear anything. And I'm like, no, I, I didn't hear anything. I'll try and be, I'll try and listen better. So he prays the third time and he's holding our hands now and he's praying. And I feel a sense of peace just rush over me. Like I know there's a presence here. And he's all done praying, and he says to Dave, did you hear anything? And, and Dave said, I did. I heard him say, I got this. And Father Dan looked at me, and he said, Michelle, did you hear anything? And I said, I heard him say, let him. It was clear this next journey was going to be special. It was going to test our strength, but it was going to be a faith-filled journey. We had answers to what are we supposed to do next. 
God's got this, and we're going to let him take care of it. The next day, I opened up a piece of Dove chocolate. And you know how Dove chocolate has the little messages? The message in the Dove chocolate was, you got this. A couple days later, I get a text from a very close friend who lives in Celine. She sends me a plaque. And, she, and the plaque says, and through her tears, she says with a smile, I've got this. Three clear messages, three sent from above, and I knew, again, this was going to be special. Dave was hit hard with chemo. He was, they gave him industrial strength, and Dave went into remission after just being fired at with this horrible poison in his body. He was very sick and very weak, and he was losing weight. But he went into remission after the rounds of chemo that were necessary. And it was at that time that they sent us to Carmanos then and said, now you are, you need to see the oncologist there and see if they can give you a bone marrow transplant. We attended our youngest son's wedding in September and came back two days later and they prepared Dave for his first bone marrow transplant. And it was hard. It was hard to watch them knock, knock his body down to practically nothing in order for his body to receive something good, the, the transplant. And he fought it. He, he, his goal, he's a goal-driven man, and his goal was to be in and out of that hospital from the transplant in three weeks. And for sure, I can tell you this, he was in and out of there within three weeks, and he was... Um, walking down the streets in Celine for Halloween, dressed up as a doctor with a mask on so that he could enjoy Halloween with our three grandchildren. The doctor said that if you can get to 100 days, that's a huge milestone. And at 100 days, I blast the blog out. He's made it. It's wonderful. He hit 100 days, and we are on the road to recovery. And he was feeling pretty good. He really was. And then day 107, he wasn't feeling so good. And we went back to the doctor, and they delivered the bad news that the cancer was back. And because it came back so quickly after his transplant, that was really bad news. Carmiano said that there's nothing really more we can do here. We've given you some lifetime limits. And what we give... We can't give anymore, so we're going to have to look for another option. And it's at that time that the doctors started searching for a trial, and they found one out in Seattle, Washington. So we relocated to Seattle, and he uh, underwent a, a procedure called CAR T-cell therapy. It's where they, it's, I, I liken it to stem cell, where they pull out your cells, they harvest, and and transplant that back in but with CAR T-cell they actually extract and they sent his cells off to Los Angeles to be engineered into cancer-fighting cells. Very interesting science. Exciting too because Dave was stepping into something that was still on trial but could save his life and we were very very excited for this and everything was going along quite well and he was um not in remission because you can't be in remission for this, but you have to have a, a certain percentage of cancer still in your body. But it wasn't a devastating 
um, percentage in his body, and they were giving him things just to curb it. We were getting ready to have the transplant, and Dave um, contracted coronavirus, also known as COVID. And back then, we had no idea how contagious, how uh, how awful it was, how fatal it could be. It was after the first week that we were walking along the water, and he just he couldn't go on anymore. He was close to collapsing. And, and he was so exhausted, and we immediately uh, walked right over to the hospital because everything is within walking distance. And they realized that his platelets and, and blood levels were low, and they tried to give him uh, a transfusion, and his he just shot up. He had a fever. And they're like, they stop it immediately when that happens, and they admitted him. And it was at that point that they realized that it wasn't working, it didn't work, and the cancer was roaring back, but they had to figure out how badly it was. So at this point, Dave was on his ninth bone marrow bi- biopsy out of 11. So for anyone who's listening and knows, bone marrow biopsies are very, very painful. And um, sometimes I was allowed to be with him and other times I wasn't, but we were at a time now when I, I didn't leave his side. I slept in the, the ho- you know, the hospital rooms with him. I, I was at his side. We fell asleep holding hands, just praying. And so they were doing the ninth bone marrow biopsy, and I remember this like it was yesterday. One of the, uh, the NPs, what, her name was Alex, and Alex was a college volleyball player, and she was 6'2". So she had to crank the table up. You know, crank, 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 crank. And it's as high as it'll go, but it made Dave eye level with me. And Dave is right there eye level, and, and I'm telling Dave, squeeze my hands, because I know when the, the very painful part is coming. Squeeze my hands, squeeze my hands. And sometimes he squeezes so hard that I'm thinking, I should have taken my ring off. <laughs> my wedding ring should not be on while he's squeezing, squeezing my hand so hard. But he's squeezing my hand, and he's, I'm, give, give it to me, Dave, just... Let me feel the pain. Give it to me. And and I look over, and he has a single tear running down his cheek. And I'm and, and I'm just being so adamant, give me your pain. Let, you know, squeeze my hand harder. And he, he says, no, that's not it. He's not it. I see God. And it was at that point that I was just alarmed. I'm like, oh, don't you leave me now. <laughs> don't you leave me now. If you're saying God, don't you leave me now. And... He's like, no, no, he's watching over us. And I'm like, I'll squeeze my hands. And his, his hands start to let go, and I am praying like I have never prayed in my life. I am saying, God, take his pain. Take his pain. You've done it before. We've seen it. We know. Take his pain. And I am begging him, please bless his marrow. Please guide her hands. Please, please let her do exactly as she needs to do and draw out and make this quick and take his pain, take his pain, take his pain. She got done and he has to lie on his back so that he doesn't bleed to death because he was so sick that it was hard for his blood to clot. And he opens his eyes and he looks at me and she leaves the room and he's like, it was, it was beautiful. 
it was it was beautiful just like people say he was he was over us he was just hovering over us and he was watching over us and it was peaceful and i felt his presence and i saw this great light and the pain was going away the pain just eased away it was beautiful to hear that and it was beautiful to actually be a part of something that seemed like the beginning of a miracle that he was there that he was watching over us we knew he was with us all along there were lots of signs but this this you felt this you felt the results came back and it it wasn't good and the doctors walked in and said, there is nothing more that we can do for you. We need to get you home and you need to say goodbye to your family. This pain was, it was agonizing. It was a great, a great sadness. And it seemed like, it seemed like we held each other and cried for hours. Because I was not ready to live my life without David. We began to pray. And I begged God. And I said, you have, you have a captive audience. You have people watching our story, reading our story, praying for us. Lord, there are people who have believed that you are there and that you have brought them into the faith. But you've got a captive audience and this is a time for a miracle. I'm not asking for much just a miracle show them who you are show them who you are through us if we are to be that instrument <clears throat> we are honored i i refer to my blog oftentimes because it really it was a, a sense of relief knowing that i could tell people what was going on and knowing that they would hear me and they would they would pray and i had started to write that blog with the devastating news. It was a hard post to write, especially as we had we had just gotten done. We were exhausted from from just crying and realizing that his his fight was going to be over soon. And the doctor said when when your body starts to show heavy signs, it's a matter of days we have to get you home. So I began to write that blog, and it was one of the hardest blogs I had to write. The doctors walked in and, and said, we need to get you home to your family, and we need to prevent um, a pain crisis. Because at this point, the markers, they call them the markers, that they were measuring how bad the cancer was were starting to go through the, the roof. His LDH, which for you and I, it's typically anywhere from 150 to 333, something like that. His LDH was at a, a level of like 4,500, which is astronomical. And something else they measured too is that his ferritin levels, and uh, they were at 48,000, which again, that number is almost unheard of. It's astronomical, yet this is important to note that Dave was not in pain. He, he should have been withering in pain. We've seen it before. Every time the cancer came back, 
that when he hits about a hundred or a thousand, his LDH is a thousand to 1200, he's just withering in pain. And, you know, they have to hit him with the hard stuff. His LDH was crazy numbers. Ferritin was crazy numbers. And they realized you, you don't have any pain right now, but we've got to prevent that from happening on the airplane on your way home. You've reached the lifetime limit for most of our cancer medications and our treatments. We are at wit's end as to what we can give you. So they tried um, something called inatuzumab, and they didn't have time to wait for insurance to approve it. $60,000 in injection. They said the hospital's going to cover it. We've got this. And they gave him the first injection, and his levels, those markers, started to drop dramatically by the hour. And they were dropping and dropping and dropping, and they, and they walked in and said, this is working. We don't know how. We've never seen this. We've never coupled CAR T cells with inatuzumab. And they started to see the side effects that they expected from the CAR T cell in, in uh, transplant. They started to see those happening alongside this inatuzumab. So things were changing in his body. And miraculously, his counts were dropping. And they said, we need to give you another we need to get, give you another infusion with that before we send you home. And they gave him a second one. And again, his counts just dropped, 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 dropped. Still no pain. Uncomfortable. Wasn't himself. Very confused. Still losing weight. But he did not have the pain that was expected. Um, we got home and we went to see our oncologist at Carmanos, Dr. Uberti. And they gave him a third infusion of inatuzumab. And Dave went into remission. That is a miracle. That we were told, go home and say goodbye to your family. That he appeared and was floating above us, watching us and our journey. And that Dave went into remission. This next part just stems from the miracle. And that allowed us to do the only thing that was left to do. And is to try another bone mural transplant. So this would be the third transplant that Dave has had. That transplant was hard. That was the hardest procedure this, this last time that, that he had ever gone through. And they said it would be hard. The first time was hard. CAR T-cell was different. This is going to be harder. And it was. It was hard on his body. His weight dropped 160 pounds. He was a walking skeleton. The side effects from that transplant were pretty extreme. It, it, uh, his kidneys took a hit. His heart took a hit. He had uh, a very bad case of mucositis where he couldn't eat for, geez, I want to say over two months, maybe even on to the third month. But it's been three years now, and he has been in remission for three years. And our life has now made a turn because now I am fortunate enough to lead here at St. Andrew as the interim principal and the opening of the new school. My journey with all my career moves and our journey with our faith and God has led me here to do what I'm supposed to do next. What did you mean when you prayed, let our story be good? Please keep him alive. Okay. Let our story Show everyone who you are and the power of believing and having faith. Let your story show through us. And, and what would you say to 
you know, a listener that's loved one didn't have a recovery, you know, cancer continued and there was no remission. And that's hard. And we have really made it our mission um, because David's story is so powerful and his recovery is miraculous. We've made it our mission to help those who are encountering cancer. And Dave has tried to just be a lending ear to those who have cancer. And I've tried to support the caregiver because it's a very hard job. And I don't know that my words would ever console or hit their heart, but I know that God's plan is good. And whether your loved one is, is, has survived it or not, his plan is good, and he's right there with you. And whether you feel his presence or are quiet enough to listen, he's always with us every step of the way. I'm just struck by kind of your realization uh, you're saying of, you know, retiring because you saw we need to spend time together for the sake of our marriage, for the sake of our family. And then God gave you that gift in a very different way. It was time together in hospital rooms, lots and lots of time together. Um, Funny how that works. (laughs) (laughs) We, we really, um, and, and little did I know when I, when I retired and we decided to spend time together, the 18 months were wonderful and special. But the time after that, when Dave was sick, we grew so much closer. I didn't know we could. I mean, Dave and I are soulmates. I didn't know that we could grow closer, but we did. Our marriage grew closer, and our relationship with God was so important. And I've seen my faith develop over the years, but nothing like it has with the challenges of, of David's health. What, what a hopeful story, I guess, in, in the um, God has more. You know, there is... Uh, for 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 marriage, you know, I'm thinking of of my marriage, and um, you know, just ex- excited that yeah, we can love each other more, we can get closer, um, and oh, you've only begun, <laughs> and uh, and my relationship with him, you know, that, uh, and that's you know, I I look at my parents too, and and um, that was one of the things convicting to me as a. Uh, 18-year-old freshman at college, you know, doubting Catholic faith, doubting God's existence, doubting, you know, uh, so many things uh, with kind of the, the, the freedom and uh, choices before me to look at um, my, my parents and see the growth that occurred. They were not stagnant in their faith, but God was, was changing them, and, and they were becoming better people. Um, cooperating with his grace. Um, and that, you know, was one of the number of things that kind of got me through that crisis. It's, um, ironic that, that you say this and, and it's important for me to say, I feel messages all the time. I feel his presence all the time. And and sometimes it's so, it's so obvious that I'm like, you really have a sense of humor. Uh, I, this is, you know, this is incredible. But anyway, this morning, I was driving um, to church today and to school, and the song came in, God is in this story. And it couldn't be any more true than what 
I've explained to you today and the story I've told you is God is in all of our stories. And we need to embrace that and allow him to be with us and to feel his presence. Yeah. And that takes that takes quietness and it takes prayer. It takes trust. You need to seek God because he is there. Yeah. Yeah, this last Sunday, the, the gospel reading was the apostles saying, increase our faith. And Father John, in his homily, um, was encouraging us and said he's praying for his, you know, his flock here, that their faith might grow in three ways, in knowing God hears them, that he will answer their prayer, and faith and growing in trust that God's answer and his provision is going to be even better than uh, what we think we desire and what, what we want. But you know, the, the first reading was all about, you know, wait for it. If it seems like it's delaying, wait for it. Um, the, the vision is still going to be come to fulfillment. Um, amen and yeah. amen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was that he is praying for that. You know, our 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 father is praying for that for his children. Um, I hope this this story helps um, listeners uh, embrace that prayer and and have that confidence and grow in, in faith. Is there anything else you'd like to tell people that are listening about my story or about my next journey? Um, well, how about this? Uh, if a parent or grandparent asked you, why should I send my child or my grandchild to the Catholic school at St. Andrew, what would you say? I would say the gift of a lifetime happened for me when I first stepped into Little Flower as a child, helping me grow into the faith, but helping me to even know as a grown adult how very special it is and how that lifetime gift has made me who I am today. And if there's anything that we can do for our kids is to give them that gift as well because they need to learn about their faith. They need to experience it in so many ways. They need to grow in their faith. And we have the capacity with St. Andrew Catholic School to practice it every day, to talk, to feel it, to experience it every day and make meaningful conversations that will last a lifetime. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Story. More episodes are available at thestory.podbean.com. That's thestory.podbean.com. If you have a story from your personal faith journey that you would like to share with others through this podcast or by written means, please let us know by going to standrewceline.org slash witness.